Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. It sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 326 for December 17th, 2009. And this is our season finale for the year. Yep, you're going to have to wait till the first Thursday in February to hear us again. But we've got a fantastic interview to tide you over this episode. So much goodness. We have got J. Bernard Calloway and James Monroe Eigelhart from Memphis. We've also got uh, Nick Blameyer uh, talking about the CD release for uh, Glory Days and about the tale of its... Uh, getting to its one glory day on Broadway and and since. That's a lot of fun. We've also got Michael Tester, uh, the composer and writer of uh, Most Likely To, the senior the senior superlative musical that is starting in January. He also comes by with a few of the cast members to perform a number live in the show. We're also going to hear music from both of those first two shows I mentioned. So it's a lot of stuff. We're going to have a couple songs uh, at the end from uh, new CD releases that you might want to pick up for last-minute stocking stuffers for your theater friends. And we got a very, very special treat. Uh, if you've been hearing about it along the web and working on uh, producing and uh, engineering and mixing and recording the BMI Musical Theater Foundation's CD, uh, No More Revivals, Volume 1, it's going to be chock full. It's coming out in either end of February, beginning of March-ish. They haven't set the date yet, but it's going to be right around there. But we've got a special sneak preview. There's lots and lots of people on this cast album. We've got Carrie Butler. We've got Gregory Jabara, Karen Olivo. Alice Ripley, Kelly O'Hara, David Hyde Pierce, and tons of others. It would take a long time for me to list everybody. It's going to be a fantastic CD, and it was a real honor to get to work with everybody here in the studio. But we've got a special treat for you. We're going to sneak preview this. Uh, this is the mix track. This is Stephanie Block singing Adam Overett's song, My Sky. And you're going to have to wait to pick it up. Until the end of February, beginning of January, when No More Revivals comes out on Chickaboom Records. I saw a bird in a shop in Jamaica, the strangest I've ever seen, with patches of scarlet all over her tail, and feathers of yellow and green. And she sat in a cage in Jamaica, near a window that looked too small. And as I left with my grandfather holding my hand, it seemed I could hear her call. My sky is a long way from this one. My sky is open and clear. And my sky is warm from the sun, not like the one they have here. sisters high over our blue and green sea 
the birds in the stall How they kept to themselves In their cages on shelves On their own side of the wall And like her now I watch the ceiling Wondering when it will turn into stars And I know I would find There are more of my kind But I'm trapped behind these bars Won't someone show me How to open this door Show me And I know I'll fly Throw me to the wind And I'll soar To my sky And then you'll see me As I'm meant to be seen Fantastic Stephanie Block singing My Sky, a special sneak preview of the BMI No More Revivals Volume 1 CD due out on Shikaboom. Again, uh, so many people on the album, um, besides who I mentioned before, Hunter Bell, Malcolm Getz, Andy Carl, Kate Reinders. The list just goes on and on. There's 17 fantastic singers. So I hope you'll be checking that out. Uh, if you need any uh, recording done, by all means, uh, give me a buzz. At, but uh, let's jump right into the program now. On the boards. Memphis has been rock and rolling on Broadway since September this year, and uh, I've been so busy that I. But I finally got a chance to check out the great show, and uh, we've got two people who have been making their Broadway debut mm -hmm. with Memphis. They've been with the show since uh, 2003 and 2004. Yeah. yeah. Jay Bernard Calloway is here, as well as James Monroe Eigelhart. Thank you. Hi. How you guys doing? Right. Feeling good, baby. Want to introduce yourselves quick so people can connect your voice with your name? Uh, Jay Bernard Calloway. I play the part of Delray Farrell in the show. And I'm James Monroe Eigelhart, and I play the role of Bobby in the show. So, Memphis, what has this journey been for you? Wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, like you said, for me, it's, uh, you know, 2003. It, it was uh, premiered at the North Shore Musical Theater. Uh, and then uh, we took it to California yeah. to Palo, Palo Alto Theater Works. Mm -hmm. Yep, Theater Works. And um, since then, you know, we've been workshopping it for the past six years and finally... Uh, Fifth Avenue, uh, Seattle, and La Jolla Playhouse did a co-pro of it. Yeah. And we went to La Jolla last year, uh, last year fall, and uh, Seattle this winter passed. Yeah. And uh, here we are. I know, man. It's a dream come true. Yeah. We've been working yeah, really yeah. hard for this moment. Yeah. You know, we kept, we would laugh at each other over the years and go, man, wouldn't it be great if this bad boy finally made it to Broadway? And, we, <laughs> and coming around that corner and seeing the sign, you're like, we there. Lord help me. <laughs> Look at the marquee. Look at the marquee. Memphis. <laughs> Our faces are on the side of the wall. Yeah, man. <laughs> Like kids in a candy shop. Right really? There. I mean, it's, it's it's so great. It's such a blessing, too. You know? Yes, definitely a blessing. Yeah. Well, one question I, I've always been interested in is when you got these long development periods that most musicals have and you've been with it for so long is how do you make each workshop? Or I mean, did, did you ever have to not do a workshop because you had another job? Or how does this work career-wise to stay with a show for so long to ultimately you start get here? Um, I think it's it's really a matter of a decision. Um, when I got picked up with the show back in 2004, um, 
a lot of the core cast members, uh, four of them, uh, Jay included, were already there. And so when I got picked up, it was like, it was a one-time thing. We didn't know if it was going to go on. We hoped it would. And when it didn't, for about two years, I kind of went, okay, maybe Memphis is, is done. Mm-hmm. But then they called me um, and said, hey, we're going to do this concert thing. And then basically they just, the writers really liked us. So they just kept calling us. And we would work our schedules around Memphis. Mm-hmm. We had all kind of like put our stake in that show. We weren't saying all our eggs are in one basket, but we were definitely saying this is something we want to be a part of. That's right. So whenever Memphis would call, all of us would rework our schedules <laughs> we, I mean, and, to and, be a part of it. <laughs> we did, man. Ironically, we did. And the thing about it, too, man, is it, 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 what has been created out of this that you you kind of don't get sometimes in this business, I feel, is a loyalty, man. Yeah. You know, because, you know, none of us are, like, big-name people, you know, but uh, 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 Joe DiPietro and David Bryan were like, listen, you know, these people are are how we, we, we wrote the show around these people. We developed yeah. this music around these guys, so let's stick with them. And that, to me, was the greatest gift um, that one can ever get in this type of business. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, where so you know so many sharks and it's kind of cutthroat. When you get that type of loyalty, man, it makes you just want to come in and work and have fun because that's what we do. We get together, we have fun. We have fun. Yeah, yeah the show has been. It's been doing yeah. well without any big yeah. marquee names. I mean, I could have easily seen some. Uh, Producer going, can we get Raul Esparza for the room oh, there? That's funny. <laughs> 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 we get Wayne Brady to play Del Rey. Right. Bring Wayne on up in here, man. You know. <laughs> I heard Cedric the Entertainer was, uh, was uh, wanted to play Bobby. Let's go talk to him. Yeah, let's go talk to him. You know. can, he, can he do a split? Can no. he do that? Thank you. <laughs> but what's funny is we, because they were really loyal to us, it made us extremely loyal yes. to them. So, like, we would get defensive because, like, people would hear that David Bryan wrote the music. And they would go, Bon Jovi. And we would get like, like that's our boy. Yo, man, yeah, let me tell you, David Bryan's the man. Right, need right. to be, we would like be protective of him right. because he was protective of us. Right. Well, well, you know, I'm going to put out the skeptical side here. I was. I was kind of skeptical about this show. And even when I went, I'm going, oh, I mean, I like Bon Jovi a lot, but I'm going, oh, he's, he's the keyboardist for Bon. He's, he wasn't the main <laughs> songwriter. He doesn't know musical theater. You know, what is it? I mean, I really was expecting you know, I, I was going in with a lot of baggage yeah. to expecting mm. to not really care most people, for the show. Most people do. The and slowly over the show, I'm going, I, I'm liking this. <laughs> this is fun. It's good songs, and it's it's catchy stuff. It's great performers, and it's, it is it is nice to have a cast without marquees, and you get yeah. lost in the world of what the story right. is telling, and not, right. oh, there's B.B. Newirth on stage. Right. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then once again, it just goes back to the loyalty and the collaboration of him and Joe. Because, you know, this is David's Broadway debut also. Yeah. And because you have a vet like Joe DiPietro, I mean, you know, they've sat down and they, you know, talked about the story so much. And David basically based the music around that story that grabbed his heart and and that story that needs, uh, uh, should have been spoken about a long time ago. But, you know, with his music and Joe kind of guiding him about how this works on the Great White Way, we can make this really happen. We can really create a a history here and create a, a, a gem. You know, and like yeah. you said, you came in, he's like, oh, Memphis, you know, what mm-hmm. is this? What's going on? David Bryan, what is it going to be? A big, huge rock show? It's going to be loud. Da, 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 da. And by the time you left, you probably were crying. You had tears. I saw you. <laughs> I saw you. Okay. <laughs> the great thing about, um, it. <laughs> the great thing about uh, what I thought was cooler about what David did with the show is because David didn't know musical theater, 
he just wrote good songs. Right. Like, he said he wanted to write songs that could stand on their own, and which is funny because that's how musicals used to be. You used to be able to write a musical, you could take one song out of it, and all of a sudden it became a standard. Sammy Davis Jr. would sing it, Frank Sinatra would sing it, all these different, those, those old legends would take these Broadway songs mm-hmm. and they would become pop tunes. Well, David kind of wanted to do the same thing. He, Joe taught him the musical theater style, but there are certain moments in the song where it's just a song. It right. fits with the story, but if you take the song out, it could stand on its own on the radio if you wanted it to. And that's not that we're afraid of that, but I'm pretty sure, you know, Alicia Keys is heard colored woman or something Trust. like that. And, Trust. <laughs> you know, on the same tangent, the, the continuity of the story, too. The, the songs, you know, in a lot of musicals, you get, like, story and then song out of nowhere, right? With the way David writes, it continues the story versus stopping yeah. the story. And I think that is very important um, so that the audience isn't ahead of us, but they're with us, you yeah. know, or, or behind us for that fact. So, Yeah, well, well speaking of that, I, I've got in my hands right here, I guess this just dropped literally today, the day you walk in the studio, oh, your, wow. your cast recording of Memphis. <laughs> and uh, besides the interview, I think it's only appropriate that we play your guys' songs from the shows. So uh, who wants to go first? Uh, Let's do Big Love. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you we know, should go in the order of the show. Let's go and in the Jay's order of the show. song comes first. Besides, we've never heard this, so we're a little yeah, nervous. We're right. like, Yo, you go first, I go okay, first. You go my dad. No, we, we can do She's My Sister yeah. first. We can do She's My Sister first. All right. So you want to you wanna say anything about the song? Set, set it uh, up a little bit? Well, um, She's My Sister is basically about me um, getting uh, putting Huey Calhoun in check, which is, uh, which is so brilliantly played by Chad Kimball. Um, you know, uh, by chance they got my sister into the, he got my sister in the studio to uh, put this new song Someday on the airways. And as he's doing it, you know, you got to remember it's 1951. So, uh, you know, my character is very conscious of keeping her safe. And he's kind of willy-nilly in the sense that, you know, hey, I got this, this great girl on, on, on uh, a new voice on the radio airways, and by the way, I'm going to give her a big old kiss. You know, no one can see that she's black, but at, the, but at the time as I'm watching that, it's like, okay, I have to warn him once again, listen, you know, she's my sister, she's all I have, this is all we got, please be careful, this is your warning. And that's kind of what that where we are right now in the story with She's My Sister. All right, let's take a listen. Right on. Now I mean to call you a redneck son of a bitch. No, you are a redneck son of a bitch. And I know you didn't mean to call my club a crappy little club. No, I guess it is a crappy little club. My parents died in
All right, great song. So what's it like finally hearing yourself on a cast album? Wow, it was magnificent. <laughs> All those hours that day just, you know, come down to two minutes and 50 seconds. <laughs> of bliss, yes. You know, so. The great part, um, I got to watch Jay record the song, and um, he is literally acting his butt off in the studio at the same time, you know, the same intensity, the same style, while he's standing in front of a microphone that he uses in the theater, you know, in front of, you know, 2,000 folks. I was just amazed. I was like, go ahead, Jay. You better act in the studio in this tiny little room. Well, hey, listen, man. <laughs> Being in the studio with David Bryan and that music, man, it makes you feel like you're a rock god, man, because I feel like my songs are so much of the essence of who he his yeah. music you know what I mean I like that, that rock voice and I mean I've just felt if I had that long hair man <laughs> yeah. you know do my Jim Morrison impression or something <laughs> just throwing my hair around or something man you know it was it was one of the most magnificent feelings I've ever felt in my career being in that studio singing those songs and just you know giving over to it you know what I mean and that's something we try to do every yeah. night give over Very to much. it give over to it Very you much know, so, so. All right, well, now we got uh, the next one here. Big Love, you want to set this one up? Um, When you first meet Bobby, he is the janitor of WHDZ. And uh, I wouldn't call him shy, but he's definitely cautious. He knows what's going on in the time. He really doesn't want to be bothered, but he finds Huey amusing and thinks Huey's a cool guy. And he and Huey end up becoming friends. Well, he sings around the office and... uh, Huey decides he wants to put Felicia on television. She's not ready to go yet. She says no. So Huey has to find someone else on the fly to sing. And without even telling Bobby, he just basically puts Bobby out there and says, hey, you're going to sing a song. And um, he ends up singing Big Love. And Bobby ends up in that one moment of the song completely coming out of his shell, um, starts doing all kinds of things nobody's ever seen him do before. And this confidence is built in a matter of uh, two minutes, <laughs> he kind of just loses it and just becomes a whole different person. So uh, that's the way I can basically set up Big Love. Um, no, there are no um, innuendos in this song at all. Um, um, I wouldn't say that. And if there are any innuendos, uh, they're probably all true. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's put it on. Some people say I'm just a fool. A man with nothing to show They say I got the charm Of a mule But there's something Them people don't know If they could only see Deep inside They'd see that my heart can't sing <laughs> I got my soul and I I got my pride and I got me one other thing two three four open your eyes I got a surprise we'll be rocking and rolling till we see the sun rise I go to you I take your places you never go
be a little irony in a show about so much about getting music on the radio and stuff that I'm sitting here, you know, the first day the CD comes out interviewing you guys and putting yes. your, putting your yeah. songs on here. It's kind of fun. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, is. it is. It's great, man. But speaking of Big Love, I, I did have one question that I'm dying, I'm dying to know because I really yes. couldn't quite tell. The f- background film scenes when you've got the cameras going on yes. the thing. Are those live or those are live while you're? They just seemed like a slight delay that I like. I couldn't, and it wasn't a cool way. I like, in some ways, it seemed like it was. And I was thinking technically in the moment because I'm going, God, if you've got understudies and different things, how would this be done? But at the same time, there was a little bit of kind of a a time delay or something element that I just couldn't quite tell, and I was like trying to look at the camera angles, (laughs) going, "Is that accurate?" No, it's live, but uh, there is a there is a slight time delay because of where what the camera is able to shoot put up there and while we're doing it there. I mean, it's happening while it's there, but it's kind of like when you're um, when you're on the phone with somebody and they're listening to the same radio station you are and you can just hear that yeah. little delay. It's exactly the same thing. But the cameras are choreographed. Just, there's as much choreography on the cameras as there is in the dance. We literally spent days on the camera going to the left on number two, on stage left. No, moving back. Okay, turn around this way. Literally... It, it's a complete dance, and all the understudies of the camera people have to know this same dance. The, if you're on camera, you have to be in the same place to look at the camera. It's kind of like being on television. We all have marks, and we have to hit the camera in a certain way, or else it's going to look terrible up on that big screen. But, yeah, it's happening right there all the time. It's fun. Shit, it is being on television. It is being on television. It is, actually. You know. <laughs> Yeah, there are, and in, in, in that combined, I thought there's some nice, just in general, the thing I did enjoy about the show, and I, I don't know, I, I, I'm stepping into like review land a little bit, which I really, really try to avoid in general, but he's like you said, that he wrote some songs that kind of stand on their own as good songs, but yet, you know, the music's almost throughout. It's like yeah. kind of a, a complex interweaving that's, that's very contemporary. You know, I think this show is a really good blend of kind of the old musty kind of thing that people are used to mm-hmm. with musicals. Keeping what's good about that and working in, you know, a lot of the good things about, you know, today's modern musicals without sacrificing, you know, the tunefulness. Right, right. And I think you really captured that. I agree with you on that. A lot of times after the show's over with, a lot of people are like, wow, we expected to come and, you know, hear some Elvis or or, uh, hear some other, you know, music, the the actual music being played. in But it's like, no, it's all original music. It's all original music. And he really captured the essence of that musk that you're you're speaking about and also the contemporariness of it, too. Because also he didn't want, we were kind of like, we're not doing a direct, you know, Represent, not representations around church words. Mm-hmm. We're doing a direct, you know, rip off of that timeline. Right. This show, our show, is an essence of that time. There so we, go. so the songs that he wrote can still be today, but they are homages to what it was back then. You know, um, gospel is gospel no matter what. You know, so then the gospel tune, you can put gospel in the fifties or gospel today, and it's the same thing. And rock is kind of the same thing. I mean, you just change the instruments up. And all of a sudden, it's a different tune. So he didn't want to create an actual Elvis tune or Elvis style. Right. He just wanted to create a style to tell the story of that time. Right. And it's kind of fun to be able to do that because those people who come in waiting to hear, you know, Chuck Berry or Elvis, right. they get so wrapped up in the story and get so wrapped up in the music. They go, oh, my God, it was like, you know, I remember that. And you want to go, that's funny you remember that, but that's not what was there. But we got you. With the story, and we got you with the essence that you, you feel. You <laughs> feel it. <laughs> that's what's unique about the show, man. You know, that's, that's so unique about it. You know, and uh, oh, man, it's just great to be a part of. You yeah. Know, you know. So can, now, as uh, you know, for 
all those aspiring actors listening. Now that you've you landed your both your Broadway debuts, mm. I imagine this is a weird situation when you're trying to balance moving your career forward because you're you're going to be doing the show for a while. Right. But I imagine you're also trying to like take advantages to maybe some new fires that are, are burning. Right. Yeah. What are you guys What are you guys doing? How are you guys taking advantage of of, of moving your career forward post Memphis? Well, um, as we're in, you know, I'm being sent out a lot. As we spoke earlier, um, for a lot of voiceovers and commercials with my commercial agent and my legit agent and my manager that I have. And it's Tell my manager. Oh, be quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 and you know, it's, it's, it's kind of tough because, you know, we we can't really make any real moves until, like, after June yeah. sometime. You know what I mean? Because of, you know, the Tonys and all that, the, the hoorah of all of that. Um, but uh, as far as furthering that, you know, I think those seeds are being planted right now and getting yeah. ready for what happens during and after uh, the, the, the show is 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 over a year old or, or a year and a half old. Then you're thinking about you know what what stuff is going on in the city. That's my big thing right now. Yeah. Because you know I can't go out of town and do any work. So it's like what's going on in the city that I can take that I can be a part of. Um, and my agents are utilizing that that option of knowing that hey you know there's some great video game animation stuff mm-hmm. going on out there. There's some great commercials going on out there right now that you want to be seen for. But you know you can't go away for four or five days to do something. You know. You have to stay here in the city and do the show and and be with it. But at the same time, if I can take advantages of those options, I am, and that's where I am right now. Um, James? Well, what's funny is I've used this opportunity. Uh, This is my, I will say this, this is not my Broadway debut, but this is my Broadway debut creating a character. Um, And to me, that's like definitely a coming out moment. Yeah, there's a definite difference. There's a definite (laughs) difference. Trust me, there's a definite difference. Um, But with this opportunity, um, I I prayed for this. I'm so glad it happened. I'm using, I used this opportunity to actually find an agent. Uh, I've been working for... You got into Broadway without an agent? Yes. That's... Con- <laughs> yeah, you mean, speak about, speak about West Coast. This brother here, man, I mean, you get the West Coast on lockdown over there, man. I mean, come on. You got to... You, come on. I'm, I'm, from, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, and um, the, the theater, couple of theaters closed down that were really big theaters. American Musical Theater uh, was really big, um, and Theater Works, which is still big over there, they did Memphis. I worked for both of those theaters. Uh, the Willows Theater... I worked for a California Conservatory Theater, all these different musical theaters out there. And I kind of just spent nine years kind of like building my name up there. And um, I worked with the Oakland Symphony uh, doing Porgy and Bess, all these things. So when the New York folks came down to see me, they were kind of like, why are you still here? And I'm like, well, I'm trying to build up a name so I don't have to kill myself when I go to New York. So when I get there, people just know who I am. And so the folks who are in the know knew who I was. So now when I came out with Memphis and once, you know, the character Bobby hit, folks came to me for, you know, to be agents or want to talk to me. And so finally I actually signed with a, a theatrical agent and um, I have two more meetings with commercial agents coming up in the next couple of weeks. So it's kind of like basically using this show to move forward. You know, this is what I can do. This is who I am. Mm. And now that you know me, okay, now let's step forward and see what, what kind of business partnership we can create. And I see for all inspiring actors that just heard that, you know, he knows who he is. He knows what he can do. That's very, very important yeah. because, like you said, this this brother came over from the West Coast with no representation. And a lot of times in, in an undergraduate program or even for a graduate school yeah. program, they don't teach you the business aspect of it. 
Oh, no. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Business is theater. No, exactly. you can go out and do You're an actor. Go and act. Do your art. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, you know. So it's, it's very important to understand who you are when you get yeah. here. And, and so when you step into that room with those represent, represent, uh, representation that wants to represent you, you know, if they know that you know what you want and who you are, that right. makes it better for them. Then you know, like, okay, this guy, this girl knows what she wants or he wants. You know, that makes it that much easier. So yeah. for those inspiring actors listening to this right now, this brother's a true testament to, to that, you know, so. And I just want to kind of point out an interesting factoid. We found out what you while we were chatting before uh, before James got here is that uh, you got your first gig, your per- first professional gig at uh, my alma mater. So yeah, yeah, Montana <laughs> Repertory Theater, Missoula, Montana, yeah, with, with the University of Montana. <laughs> yes, so. man. Yes, yes, yes. We did a um, tour. It's my first gig. I graduated from undergrad um, at Alabama State. I got my BA in theater in 1997, and I'm from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, originally. So I went home and I talked to the school board for a little bit. And the artistic director of my theater at Alabama State, they have, directors have this big meeting they have every year with the schools and the universities. And, um, you know, to make a long story short, she was uh, in good relations with the University of Montana. And they basically called me up. They sent them a tape of Emperor Jones. I did the Emperor Jones when I was in college. I was an Emperor Jones. And they sent the tape over. They saw me. They called me up. It was like, uh, we'd like to hire you uh, to play to play uh, Tom Robinson in the show. And I was like, wow, okay, great, okay. So it was my first gig. We toured the United States. Um, and then I ended up going to grad school right afterwards. And it was a great, great experience as we were speaking, man. I mean, it was, you know, cold. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, that's not cold. You should Come go on, to eight, Alaska. <laughs> eight degrees cold. one day, next day, minus 11 below zero. And what's funny is, you know, for, for young, inspiring actors, Jay was talking about me. Um, Jay is one of those actors who basically has his hand in everything. The man can do musical theater, he could do Shakespeare, he could do straight plays. If this is what you want to do, you once you, you step out of school, learn as much as you can mm. so you can have as many weapons, that's what I call them, as many weapons as you need when you step into the real world. Personal. We always laugh because Jay can do anything, and we tease him about that. There are certain moments <laughs> we're like, you're in musical theater, you do Shakespeare, you do straight plays, Get out, shut up, move, leave, do something. Give us <laughs> some room for those of us who are only saying, get the hell out the way. <laughs> so, yeah, well, speaking of doing anything, and you kind of hinted at the beginning where you say, James, you, you're not offended if I say you, you're a bigger guy, right? Yes, I am. When you do the splits on stage, uh, yes. that's like. Uh, one of my arsenals, <laughs> my weapons. Us. By hitting an E flat. I have a, I have like, a couple of weapons, yes. That's it's kind of like that, oh, damn, he didn't, did he? <laughs> Oh, no, he didn't. What's really funny is that when I graduated from college, um, I was a hundred. No, I was about two, 200 pounds. And um, I got real depressed and got a little bigger as what I am now. I'm about 280 now. But what's funny is I've been dancing since I was uh, about 10 years old. When I was younger, I, when I was skinny, I did not get hired. The minute I got bigger... I don't know why my career is blown up. <laughs> so y'all eat, so eat, eat, <laughs> eat something. A diet will be do the death let, of your career. Really, do not let those people tell you to be skinny. You do you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right, man. 
<laughs> so now are, are your universities going to you know when when students get the marketing material our past graduates include they, they already pictures. have have they asked you they for those pictures have. oh god yeah <laughs> Every, everybody's been calling Alabama State yeah. Brandeis University <laughs> you know I got matter of fact there's some uh, alumni coming up to, to see the show and I got a movie out right now too called well it's on DVD now called The Taking the Pelham 123 so 2009 has been really 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 truly a blessing for me this year man and um just this uh, Memphis, I mean, uh, the uh, Broadway to be in the, in the show is doing so great, yeah. man. It, it's it's just unbelievable. It's kind of overwhelming, but in a great, yeah. great way, you know. So, because I just um, there's a TV show called The Electric Company, um, which came out in the '70s, but yep, they brought uh, it back. I was a nerd watching that. I well, love my the, the educational new, program. Mine too. <laughs> the, the, new, the new Electric Company is out, and uh, I have a music video on it called Silent E, and I used mm. to love that song, the original, the animated version. And I'm in that show. And what's funny is that that's where my college realized I was actually doing something. <laughs> so one of the students had a child and saw Silent E. was like, that's James. And they started calling. And it's funny because even the teachers that hated me all of a sudden are calling, hey, how you doing? I'm like, you don't like me. Why are you calling? But, hey, you know, it, it works for the school. And I love my school. Without them, I would probably wouldn't be where I am today. So That's right. All right. Well, unfortunately, I do believe we got to wrap up. You've got an, a rehearsal to get to. I believe you're going to be rehearsing for a view. We're going to be on the view. We're going to be on the view on the seventeenth. We'll yes. be on the, the view. Well, that's the day this comes out. So if they listen really quick, they can maybe catch it. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Right. On. But uh, they right can on. probably YouTube it. At that point, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. Memphis on the View. Exactly. And all the publicists are trying to go, take that down, take that down. What France is doing on But uh, so, Memphis on Broadway, definitely yes. catch it. Yes. Uh, the soundtrack just came out. It's available only on the website right now, correct? And the Schieber Theater. Yeah, it's available at the theater. Hannah's been here. Your, your PR agency's been really quiet. She's embarrassed I just asked her a question. But, um, yeah, so the Schubert Theater. And what is it? Memphis on Broadway.com? Memphis the Musical. Memphis the Musical.com. Yes, yes. the Musical.com. So uh, is where they can go to get the CD, get tickets, go see you guys. Yes, that's right. Strut your stuff on stage, and congratulations. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you, James Bernard Calloway, us, James Monroe Eigelhart. Yes. Best of luck. It's as been a pleasure, man. It's been a Definitely, pleasure. man. Thank you for bringing us in. Yeah. Up close. In May of 2008, Glory Days opened on Broadway and closed in one day. Yes, sir. And uh, we've got, but it's now out on a CD, this cast album for everybody to listen to, and the music, uh, the composer lyricist, Nick Blameyer, who also, you also starred in the show, too. Uh, I didn't, I didn't. Oh, you didn't? I was, okay, that was. I was doing a different show at the same time I was doing Cry Baby Across the Street. <laughs> so, but I, I got the best of both worlds. And uh, Nick's here with us now to talk about Glory Days, and I, I imagine there's quite an interesting story along the development and history. And then you can go run out and get the original Broadway cast recording. Yeah, you know, it's it was a it was a pretty magical time actually. I mean, for all of the the way that it ended, which you know, it was still a huge honor to get to have gotten there at all. But you know, we started writing the show when um, my buddy James and I were 18, and it was about our friends, and you know, it sort of commemorated uh, our passage from high school to college, and uh, you know, all the the inside jokes and and uh, and also kind of the painful things that we went through at that point, trying to real, not really realizing that we were becoming men before we thought we were, and uh, you know, we thought it was an interesting thing to talk about and a sort of universal idea, and uh, it sort of uh, blew up. Um, 
in, at, down in, in D.C. We were doing it in our hometown at Signature Theater, which is a wonderful regional theater. And uh, we got a bunch of great reviews down there, and people started coming down to see it. And, you know, it just sort of uh, snowballed into this this craziness that uh, that uh, rushed us up here into New York. And, uh, you know, it blew up in both directions, I would say. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, I would say kind of the... The, a flash in the pan in the greatest sense of the, in the, of the phrase because it was one of the greatest nights of my life. And, you know, I, I made some incredible friends from the experience and learned a ton about writing and also about this business and, and the way you have to conduct yourself in order to, to get where you want to go. So it was it was pretty great overall. You know, for how often do you run into, the, like, the jaded set or the bitter set who gives you a lot of shit about having a show for one night on Broadway? Does that does that happen or do people get that, hey, you got there? I think, you know, it, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I oh. The overriding feeling is is really so kind. I mean, in, in terms of the way that people talk to me about the show, I, I always hear things, you know, in the other direction. Um, but I think that that's that, that comes with the territory. And I think the minute you get into that uh, arena, people are going to go both ways on you, whether you're a success or a failure. And you know, merely roll along was a failure, and uh, and I'm sure people had a lot of shit to talk about that show, you know, before it it became, you know. Um, a big part of our musical theater canon. And I don't expect this to have the same effect at all. But, you know, I, I do expect to, to hear both positive and negative things about it. And I, I'm fine with that because, to me, you know, the experience was wonderful. And, and what anyone's going to say is it going to really change that for me. Is there anything that you you personally could have or would have done differently regarding its, you know, its jump from the signature to Broadway? Um, I mean... Yeah. Yes, I think I think that there are a lot of things that I would have done that I think would have made the show better, um, and that we could have run longer. You know, through through a, a ton of different variables. But I actually think that in the way that it's affected uh, my life and my understanding of writing and, um, and conducting myself, as I said, in in this crazy business, I wouldn't change anything because the the way that it went down taught me lessons that I actually think having a success your first time around doesn't teach you and is dangerous. Like if you if you know. I think that, you know, the guys who wrote Avenue Q, uh, you know, had the first shot right out of the gate. And the guys who wrote um, who wrote In the Heights, first shot out of the gate. And that's incredible. It's also, you know, it's like a ton of pressure for your sophomore, um, for your sophomore, whatever you, whatever you put out next. I haven't next. even seen a sophomore thing from the Avenue Q guys. Yeah, I mean, and they're so talented. And, you know, and, they're, and I know they're working on incredible stuff. So their sophomore outing is going to be pretty wonderful. And I assume the same for Lynn um, because there's a reason that they're, they're famous or they're, and that they're succeeding. But, you know, like Tom Kitt and uh, uh, Andy Green had high fidelity. And I think that uh, he would say that it taught him a lot uh, about, you know, what to do next time, which helped him on Next to Normal. And it's, you know, paid off really well for him. So I would say that it, in terms of a learning experience, I wouldn't change anything at all. Now, was the show undercapitalized? Because in this day and age, there's very few shows that are willing to throw in the towel after one night. It, I mean, it, e- even when it's yeah. clear that this show is just not going to recoup, they generally yeah. tend to try to run it for a while to see what legs it will find. So, You know, it was – obviously, we were opening in a really hard time. And the, the I would say the, the main reason that we, we closed so fast is because – it wasn't that we were undercapitalized; is that we just were not prepared to not sell. It, there was no, there was no kind of contingency money, and that is really what you need in order to to be able to stay away, uh, stay alive for a week, um, or you know, even a day after. Is that it? Just it just we were hemorrhaging money because of uh, people weren't coming, and because you know that was for a ton of reasons. I would say one of the main ones, besides you know the quality of the show and the quality of the of the way that you know we were being received. 
um, in the press was also that we came in so fast that like that all the money was just like it was all hanging on a on a thread. So we had, we needed good reviews in order to make it to another week. And there was you know basically I think if we had if we had gotten good reviews we would have run through the summer and then and then we would have really needed to get attendance in order to continue to make it. But it was a it was a crapshoot and it went in, in a direction that that the producers obviously weren't ready for. Was everybody kind of aware that it was a crapshoot or were they? Yeah, yeah. You know, because, I mean, we had a couple offers right after the signature opening. We were like, you know, there was a couple major regional theaters out west that, that wanted it and, and uh, an off-probably place that wanted it. And they were, we were all kind of like, well, what's the best place to go here? And, you know, when somebody offers you a Broadway theater, it just doesn't happen. You know, so like <laughs> – so to get that offer, it's like, well, sh- shit, this is – we have three months to mount this. Well, we'll have four days of rehearsal and we'll go into tech. You know, and like – that does not sound safe. It is not safe. But, you know, one of the things that I feel like I've learned from this is that, you know, Broadway, Broadway uh, productions are really in a way like a political campaign. And, you know, you're, you're mounting a, a company for a temporary period of time in order to rush, you know, everyone to pay attention to it and hopefully, you know, give it a, a, some sort of reign over the, the area. Um, and I think that in, in this case, you know, this was a real Hail Mary. And a lot of times that comes out great. You know, it's like a, it's like the whole you know Sutton Foster thing. She comes in last minute as as Millie, and it ends up being a huge thing for her. You know, and those and that's kind of the story you always want to be involved in. In a way, it's more exciting that way than it is like having a ten year per, uh, preparation process. But uh, it was very shotgun. It was a bit of a shotgun wedding. <laughs> well, before we talk a little bit more about this, uh, should we play a song from your cast album? I'd love yeah. that. I'd love that. Uh, what's the first song we're going to play? The first song is called Good Old Glory Type Days, and it's one of the first songs that I actually wrote for the show in 2003 uh, when I was a uh, freshman in college. And uh, it's you know about uh, the idea of uh, when you're in high school and you're getting mistreated because you're not cool. Um, you know, you hate the, that time, but when you are removed from it for a little bit, there, it, it, it's that's your those are your memories. That's that becomes in a way your quote unquote glory days, and that's sort of the the irreverence, I guess, of the of the title is that they didn't really have glory days, but um, because they were they were the outcasts, and so hence the glory type. Um, but uh, you know what they learn, I guess, in this song is that uh, not only did um, were the days really not that bad in the scheme of things, but they found each other. So. You know, it was they were they were glorious in some way. <laughs> All right, take a listen. Truffle shuffle, truffle shuffle, chunk. Popeye the Sailor Man, GI Joe, the, the American, American hero, and Conan, the Barbarian, not O'Brien. Look, we are still the boys. Freshman year, we were queer. Sorry, we were different. Got your gay now? You weigh the same that you did back then. But you were five foot four, now you're five foot ten. Well, at least five nine, well, at least you're taller. Look who's talking about being an awkward mess. You were so gangly, your arms just dangled. They wrapped around twice when you'd fold them across your chest. I was strong, but you were dumb. Still are. Shut up. You are. Your, your mom. See? Put us in one We'd say we had girlfriends 
ugly men. Then this brings me back to things I haven't thought about since those good old glory type days. Hey, what about you, Mr. You Know Who? Junior ROTC. Yeah, that was me. It was my dad's plan, but I got something out of it. I could end your life with my bare hands. Fuck you, bring it on. Watch out, are you nuts? Don't fight, come on, guys. See, this is what the good old days should be like. Football, the lights. Pizza every night. Horse face every night. Street Fighter 2. Are the things that remind me of you. You and me and he Good old glory days Always seem to say goodbye And they become the past tense Which we apply to our lives The good old days Are only good when you're there And when they're done They're not as fun Even though you still do care The cast album is now out, available on Shikaboom Records. And I got to say, a year and a half uh, to do the cast album. Was there a reason behind what what took so long to get this put out? Oh, yeah. Money. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, we, we closed because we didn't have the money to stay open. So there was no money to do a cast album. Um, the thing that, that has really been kind of wonderful about this show from the beginning is the goodwill that it has brought out of people um, in terms of the people who have been involved in it from the first day we started writing it. Just really wonderful artists and really wonderful um, donors and investors. And I would actually say, in a way, more donors because as much as people have invested in this show, it's really been them giving, you know, uh, giving their confidence in us um, in the form of money. And, and that's, you know... It's kind of what you you hope for as a, as an artist, and you know you need the money to facilitate your your project. And uh, this has been a thing that has taken longer to do because uh, you know because it ran for a day. So how is you know why doesn't no one wants to put up money for that because they know it's not going to make what a next to normal or a, or a in the heights is going to make sure. But uh, but it's still worth doing, and especially you know in in the in the world of musicals. A show dies if it doesn't have a cast album. So it was really important to me and to my writing partner, James Gardner, um, who I wrote the show with, to, to find a way to make it happen. And we spent you know, th- this past year raising the money with our producers, and, and we found some really, really generous people who believe in us and have continued to, to help us. And it's been, you know, in, for any, for any uh, 
burn that that anyone felt and and also for the cast um you know who lost their jobs um that day and had, who had uh, taken our job over longer running shows that you know are still running that they <laughs> decided not to do it was important for me to get them out there because they're just so wonderful and uh because of because of you know all of that goodwill that i think that that's why the album got made albeit a little bit later than <laughs> than the week after opening now i understand you did the album most broadway cast albums for those who don't know are done at a breakneck pace in a day and like a big humongous studio the orchestra all the cast members are in different little booths and mm-hmm. due to union regulations they've got literally pretty much a day to get it maybe the biggest biggest budget shows will get two days totally to track it all yeah. but that's not how you did this recording correct no we wanted to do it like a pop album because the show is really about you know the language of young people and it's not musical theater in, in in the sense that it's you know these these grand flashy um, moments, it's it's much more about kind of these small emotional moments that are, that they sing in the vernacular with which they listen to on the radio, um, and so we we wanted to, we wanted to do an, an album that really like that really kind of reflected that. So we did it over three days, um, which was really cushy and was really fun. Um, and we uh, we had we flew the, the guys in, we did rehearsal, and actually one of the things that was great about it not being um, right during during the time uh, that the show was running, uh, was that there are a bunch of union regula- regulations, as you said, uh, that restrict the, the or actually like make mandate that you pay certain people and, and that you pay certain people a certain amount and uh, that you have to you know do it in a certain amount of time. And because we we did it uh, more than twenty weeks after the show closed, there were a lot of ways we could you know. Uh, we, we we were able to find that did the recording still by the regulations, but you know in a way that was cost effective, and uh, and it made it a lot more fun because we weren't like you know if we if we didn't get it that first take we'll do six more and you know and that was real a real joy. So. Uh... Is this out now for, I imagine part of the, the impetus behind getting the cast recording done was so that, you know, regional community groups, you know, college groups. Totally, you know, totally. Which seems like an ideal market for this, this show. Absolutely. Uh, is this show available for those? Classes? We're actually, that's one of the most exciting things about this. You know, it's, it's, we definitely made it as a promotional tool, as you're saying. Um, and we're in the process of signing a contract with a really exciting uh, licensing company that I can't say yet, but it should be released uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, hopefully by the actually probably by the beginning of of the new year and uh and they've been you know really excited about about getting this thing wherever we can and we had a really uh, really wonderful production of the show in Japan actually uh this past summer that was like weirdly a huge hit um and so they're making a cast album there's a DVD of that now <laughs> and so you know it's we've been finding a really wonderful response in those markets and and I think you know hopefully we'll find that market um We'll find that response in uh, in colleges and regional theaters here as soon as the the, um, the show gets licensed. Now, I, I didn't get a chance to see the show. Uh, it, it was a very short window that I yes. missed. Yes, it was. Um, About an hour and a half, actually. That's all you had. Maybe this is a good time to really kind of clearly state for those people who are listening what, what the show is about, you know, and just... You know, do your thirty-second elevator pitch for the show and why groups might want to put this on. Sure. Well, thank you. Um, it's it's about four best friends who come back to uh, their old alma mater's uh, high school football field where they were outcasts and treated like uh, crap by the football team and all the cool kids, and they've gone on to their first year of college uh, separately. And whether they realize it when they come back or not, they've done a fair amount of changing in that time. 
and uh, the the, uh, show takes place in real time on that football field for an hour and a half um, that uh, night in in May after they get back from their freshman year, uh, where the changes that they've made in their lives really become apparent and uh, test the friendship that they thought was going to last them a lifetime. All right. Yeah. So four-person cast, correct? Four-person cast, four-person band. You know, know, I know that there's a lot of those groups that are looking for – you know, people where they don't have to cast all their, you know, college students as, you know, 50-year-old. <laughs> totally, totally, yeah, because I, I, I remember I, was, I played Harry in company in college, and I was like, what the hell am I doing playing Harry? You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not almost divorced, you know. This is, this is a show, and that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to write a show by our generation, about our generation, and, you know, we wanted to do it at our, our colleges and our, with our friends. And that, you know, has led to a really exciting uh, kind of minimalistic thing that you can do now for with virtually no set and, and then eight people, four band and four four actors. All right. So, well, before we wrap up and talk, uh, what's the next song you want to play here from the cast album? Uh, the next song is is the finale. It's it's a song that it was one of the last songs we wrote for the show, and uh, it features one of the most incredible vocal performances um, by this guy named Stephen Booth, um, who is not only a wonderful guy but really an exceptional exceptional actor and singer and it's the the last song in the show he's the sort of the eyes of the show and he um is a writer and is trying to figure out you know how to uh to take what he's learned from this and and move it into the next chapter of his life and um and so the song is called my next story and uh it's one that that uh that he just really he took to a whole new level and really kind of exemplifies the uh the the best part about doing musical theater is that you can write something and think that you know you think you got it and then you hear somebody really great do it and you're like oh that's what it is you know <laughs> all right okay let's take a listen look at this field look at this perfect field what really keeps people here these white lines no boundaries to hold us here Except for mine It might be time to try and find A different kind of story Instead of one that I've begun But can't seem to complete Except this is all I know And I don't know where else to go Or what else there is to me If they're not gonna be my next story They say to write the things you know well that I have and there they go away from here no way to sew them back together I want to say I'm sorry for my indiscretions from before But no one's here to hear anymore And bring us back together I didn't want to get it When shifting started to occur I didn't want to let it make us Versions of versions of myself I hate to be And this draft that I do Will be completely true Which seems quite overdue To me But that doesn't mean 
making mistakes and each one takes me in a totally different direction. I'm getting lost and finding out the cost of pushing too hard to make a connection. When am I grown up and when am I still immature? Will I ever be more than just unsure? Observer, inventor, and sole documenter Constantly watching the constant incentive To keep moving forward in all ways Remember Always remember imagine one thing before we kind of wrap up that you know our listeners might be interested in is um is where was your career before glory days and where has it and what has glory days done for your career since despite its brief run well you know it's it's interesting because as i said before i i don't have any regrets about the process and and i i would say the main reason of that is is actually selfish in that you know i was i was really lucky coming out of college and i you know, got on a, a tour, and I was I came here, and I got a Broadway show, and I'm you know 25, and this is everybody's, or at least you know it was my dream when I when I was a kid, and I'm getting to live it. And Glory Days, more than anything, has has uh, has given me um, a calling card in a way. Um, and you know, there are people that I don't know who I really respect or who I I didn't think knew me who kind of come up to me and said, you know, you you did a good thing, and I'm and the community is behind you, and we believe in you, and you should keep writing. You know, one of those people was Ben Brantley, you know, and that's, you know, it's just, it, it's given me uh, a certain level of identity um, that I uh, I never expected to have, maybe ever, much less at this point. And, you know, right now, I guess my, my whole feeling is that I just really don't want to fuck it up, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I, you know, I, I want to um, make good on it because a lot of people have put a lot of faith in me, and um, I think that, you know, I want to be able to kind of parlay that into a career that I'm proud of and makes work that, work that I'm proud of. Now, uh, has this opened any doors in other areas for your career? Yeah, it has. Um, you know, I'm writing a new show. Um, is a commission from Broadway Across America, um, which is a you know they're a wonderful producing organization. They're doing a lot of development work now with with writers, and uh, so they've they've uh, been able to help me um, pay my rent while I write a show, which is kind of the writer's dream um, and it's been really exciting and it's made writing so much easier <laughs> because I'm not constantly worrying about where the, where the next rent check's going to come from at least for now um, and, uh, and it's you know it's, it's also just it's, I've started working in TV and film more now I just did a, a movie with Bruce Willis which was really cool and, uh, and it's all it's just all upwards from here because actually in a way you know if, if that's the bottom then I'm doing fine <laughs> 
Well, and one opportunity opened up is you will be appearing on uh, the the CD I produced for the Be My Musical Theater Workshop. That's totally true. <laughs> That's totally true. No and more it, revivals. You do a duet with Carrie Butler. Oh, that, she's amazing. And I just I just heard the song, and it's you know it's unbelievable. And that's actually a perfect example of what has happened is that now I've gotten a chance to work with people who are just I thought were you know I, I'm a fan of I you know I, I listen to these blogs I'm a musical theater nerd and you know and to get to be sitting in a booth with them in the booth I'm in right now with Carrie Butler singing a song you know life could be worse <laughs> All right. Well, Glory Days out on CD now from Shikaboom Records. Uh, Nick Blameyer, I thank you so much. I know, I know you're in a busy, really busy schedule. You get back to New York once a once a week and yeah. try to fit everything in. And I'm glad we were we were able to squeeze this in. And wow. best of luck with your future endeavors and with the cast release of Glory Days and the and the regional theater release of it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been really an honor. On the boards. Well, it seems that High School Musical in Glee is bringing musical theater to a new audience, and a new show is uh, looking to tap into that new crowd, most likely to. The Senior Superlative Musical is opening January 16th and playing through the 24th. And we have uh, author and composer Michael Tester here to talk about the show, and a few of the cast members also stopped by to perform a number from the show. How you doing? Good. Welcome. <laughs> All right. So first off, tell us a little bit uh, about... Uh, most likely to, the senior superlative musical. Okay, well, what I wanted to do is I wanted to create a musical where the um, actors are speaking and singing like actual teenagers as opposed to an old man writing for teenagers and having them all be happy and skipping and and just talking about things that we don't normally talk about, um, you know, as adults. Now, having been a teacher... I'm making no sense at all, Michael. Can we so is it all about sex then? <laughs> so is, so all, is it all about sex? Everything is about sex and uh, violence, <laughs> which is why in all of our shows at school, we always make sure that we have some decapitations involved, you know, like in Les Mis. Um, but yeah, no, so what I'm basically saying is that there's a, a sense of political correctness that goes on in these musicals. And, and when these kids go to college, they're told, um, okay, you have to audition with material that is age appropriate. And um, but it can't be inappropriate. So basically, they have to audition with Charlie Brown or Anne Frank. These these, these are the options because there's not all that much else in between. Because uh, they can't do David Mamet, they can't even sing things from Spring Awakenings for often for college and, and high school. So I thought, okay, I also work as a teacher at the High School for Performing Arts, the Long Island High School for the Performing Arts, which is like fame, where you have to break up fights in the. Um, hallway over who is the best alphaba. I mean, that's, that's where the bullying comes around. And uh, so anyway, the, uh, I, I figured, okay, I have the material before me. I mean, you have no idea. Like, Glee, any of these shows, they're all fabulous, but the show that you see in the hallways at a high school for the performing arts, that is the show. That is the show. You just want to sit there and watch it. And I was like, how can I capture that lightning in a bottle? And, and bring it on stage because I've, I've often said to them, I was like, we have these kids that are incredibly talented, funny, hilarious, heartbreaking, and you never see that on stage. They go on stage and they suddenly turn into these like musical theater people that really don't reflect who they are off stage. So I set about creating a monologue cycle that would uh, reflect their true desires, fears, dreams, hopes, 
and phobias. We, we have a, a lot of phobias. So uh, we put that in there as well. And then we did a workshop of this at the Dramatist Guild a couple of years ago, and it was very, very successful. And a lot of the industry who came and the audience felt that it could be a musical. But I did not want to create a musical where people spontaneously burst into song, even though I love those musicals. We all love those <laughs> musicals. I think those musicals are, are really uh, are probably more like real life than we want to admit. Um, I'm always doing my gang fights, dancing ballet down the streets of New York. So, um, but I wanted it to be different. So what we did is we created a, the premise that this is a senior superlative ceremony where they give out awards for who's most likely to win this, that, or the other thing. And whenever they sing, it's, they're supposed to be singing. They're actually singing. It's not like singing subtext. Even though there's subtext in the lyrics, it's like now we have the Glee Club. And in, in our production, the Glee Club is the ironic Glee Club. They're all chronically depressed. So we have the Glee Club. We have the uh, cheerleaders who are enthusiastic Americans. And they sing. When are cheerleaders enthusiastic? Yes, they sing. Actually, that was a twist. Yeah, the, well, the, the actual the, <laughs> the twist in our play is that the cheerleaders are the nicest ones, the drama queens are the evil ones in it. The thespians. You know, that's actually pretty true. I think so in too. In the scheme of things. Yeah. So the, 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 the drama queens are <laughs> conniving. They're vicious. They're based on someone whose name I cannot mention that begins with a C, and um, from our school. And um, they are based on on this one particular guy that was in our school who was uh, a, a fabulous. Uh, drama queen, and and so we, we have them have their, they have their own little agenda where the cheerleaders genuinely genuinely want to be nice, and the fact that they win best uh, most team spirited and not most mean spirited is it makes them very excited, and so they burst out into a song called Scream Girls, which is a parody of Dream Girls, but um, they scream. And uh, so we, we have those. We have the Battle of the Bands, where we the emo uh, band Tickle Me Emo. They sing emo spelt backwards is oh me. And we have the guitar heroes uh, who have learned how to play guitar through Garage Band and through Guitar Hero. They have a number. Basically, every disenfranchised type has a number. And what we tried to do is in, in the sort of the real world of high school, a lot of things are twisted. So meaning the jock might really be a thespian and the thespian might really want to play basketball. So we try to switch it around so that nothing is really what you expect. So I think that's the fun thing for audiences also is that everyone who sees it can relate to one of the characters. I've had on the opening night when we, we did this at Players Theater last year and um, I mean earlier this year in the, in the, we did, workshopped it in the summer and a lot of my own thespian society found me on Facebook, found the press release and came and surprised me on opening night and they were all talking about what characters they recognized from high school. And it really wasn't true. Do you have to, like, put a this is not based on no. real people disclaimer? <laughs> no. Well, I always say right, the names have been changed to protect the guilty, right? <laughs> um, that's the always truth of it. But, but really what I, what I mean to say is that uh, the, the thought it was really funny that they thought those were based on real characters when they were really based on kids that I've taught at uh, performing arts high school. But the fact that they could relate to them I thought was really cool. So everyone who sees the show 
relates to one of the characters and sort of follows their arc through the entire piece and is like, oh, that's that's me, or that's, oh, I... So many people said they related to the girl who completely breaks out into show tunes at a random, like, just in her normal conversation as part of her vernacular. She's like, mama who bore me. You know, whenever she's speaking, she just speaks... I know that person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Everybody says it. Everybody says they know that person. She's always like, what about what I want? What about what's right for me? And they're like, every wheel got paid. She just completely bursts out into song lyrics. So that's, for me, the joy of the show is I love, we all love Glee. We love High School Musical. We love all these pieces. But I wanted to create a piece that was based on um, students that I actually work with, that that I hear and see on a daily basis, as opposed to juxtaposing... Um, a middle-aged man's idea of what it is to be a, a teenager onto them. So these, in, in a sense, they helped create this show because when they sing, when they speak, it's really based on things that I've heard them say or do. I mean, they're exact quotes from them in the hallway uh, of things that, they, that they've that they said. Or, or there's a song called, which we're introducing this new version. You're going to have to give away points on the script if you talk any further. Yeah, no, no, no. It's it's all part of, I'm so involved as a, as a um, you know... It's interesting because I also work a lot in in, uh, teams, creative teams. I was part of the original creative team for the Awesome 80s Prom, which just opened in Korea, actually. So that should be an interesting cultural um, shock for them. Uh, But uh, it's it's fifth year off Broadway. And right now I'm part of the writing team for Ken Davenport, who created that and Alter Boys for his newest uh, musical, which is the Garage Band Project. And the difference between those is that when you're writing in a team like that, the creator comes to you with the idea and you actually flesh out the dialogue and everything. Whereas in this particular case, I already came in with the dialogue and the songs. Um, and what the cast did is they just they took it to the next level, which is no small thing. I mean, they're incredibly talented, and which is why I've stuck with them through all these workshops. And they've stuck with the show, which I'm very honored by, because they're all in college. They're all everywhere from NYU. to They're all over the place. They're all working and doing other shows, and um, but they're all in the show. So they're actually... They've lived these parts, you know. <laughs> well, in fact, maybe this is a good time. I know you got three people here waiting to sing. Yes. Uh, do you want to introduce them and, yes. and, we can, and talk about the number that's going to? I would love to. We have Katie Hoffman. That has two N's at the end. And Katie Hoffman, uh, she plays twin sisters in, in the show, Angela and Gabby. And the one is obsessed with the show Wicked. And she has a theme for her show. Uh, for her prom, her big wicked sweet sixteen, and her sister is uh, has OCD and she's voted most OCD, and that's one of the songs you're going to hear. And you're going to hear a little snippet of the opening song, uh, which will be joined by fellow cast members Melissa Rapoli, who is an NYU student, musical theater student, who is a triple threat, and we have Alex Greif, who is hilarious in the show. He plays two different characters. He plays an emo, a Latino emo goth boy and a Star Wars fanatic. And uh, sometimes you, he plays them so differently you can't even tell which is which sometimes. I've had people say, oh, I didn't know that was the same person in the show. So the three of them are going to sing a little bit of the opening song, Most Likely to Survive, and we're going to segue into OCD Over You, with the lead vocals by Katie Hoffman. K-Hoff, as she's known in the biz. All right, well, let's get everybody in the booth, and you ready to hop on the piano? I'm, I'm ready. Thank you so much for this, by the way. Um, I know I talk really fast, but I am a New Yorker. All right. 
Most likely to succeed. Most team spirited. Class clown. Most studious. Best dressed. Almost dramatic. We are kindred spirits separated from our tribe. Trapped in a teenage body, I am most likely to survive all of these best years of our lives. So goes the battle cry, will I earn my medal tonight, most likely to survive. Thank you for voting me most OCD. I thought for sure it would be ADD, or best singer, so I combined them both into a song that I'd like to dedicate to my boyfriend, who was just voted class player. I guess it's because he's so good at lacrosse. <laughs> my, 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 sister is obsessed with the brothers Jonas. Daddy is possessed with getting that bonus. Mama is driven to feed me lies. My brother won't sleep until he sees me cry. But I have a confession, a curse, and a blessing. It's true. It's a great performance. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for coming down. So we got to get all the details here. I know it's uh, January 16th to the 24th. Um, is there any place people can go to get more information? Yes. They should go to theatermania.com or they can go to shortenedattentionspan.com or to theplayerstheater.com or to broadwayclubhouse.com. Is there anyone in particular you'd love them to go to? I would love oh. them to go to theatermania.com because <laughs> that's where you get your tickets, Theatermania. All right. And and where is this playing again? At the Players Theater, where Britney Spears had her New York stage debut. That is right. Was that with uh, uh, Ruthless. Ruthless? And yes. Natalie Portman. So there's a Star Wars connection there for our Lucas character. It's why we chose that theater. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Michael Tester, I thank you so much for coming by to talk about uh, Most Likely to Succeed, or no, just Most Likely to, the Senior Superlative Musical. And uh, best of luck with your run, and thanks for everybody for stopping down to sing. Thank you. Listening room. All right.
right. Well, we got two songs from two new CDs that you might want to check out. Uh, the first one we'll play, this is from Ashley Brown. Uh, yeah, she did a little show called Mary Poppins. Uh, did pretty well for her. Now she's got her own solo CD out. It is called Speak Low. It came out on Ghost Light. Uh, Shikaboom slash Ghost Light. So you can find it in stores uh, everywhere. I believe Amazon, iTunes, you know, everywhere else. And this song that we're going to play is I've Got the World on a String. Merry month of May, sunny skies of blue. Clouds have rolled away and the sun peeps through. May express happiness joy you may define in a thousand ways but a case like mine needs a special phrase to reveal I've got the world on a string, sitting on a rainbow, got the string around my finger, what a world, what a life, I'm in love, I've got the song that I sing, I can make the rainbow, anytime I move my finger, lucky me, can't you see, I'm Once again, that was Ashley Brown with I've Got the World on a String from her brand new CD, Speak Low. Uh, you can find it at uh, shikaboom.com, at iTunes, Amazon, everywhere you want to look. So uh, congratulations, Sierra, on getting your CD out. Uh, again, before we wrap up and play the last song, I just want to say again, this is the season finale. Uh, we'll be back the first Thursday in February. 
So uh, hopefully this tied you over till then. We got lots of great back episodes. And I don't know if you even noticed, if you search in the back episodes, uh, I got to interview both Golden Globe nominated for Glee, Leah Michelle when she was uh, doing Spring Awakening, and Matthew Morrison when he was doing the concert version of Chess. So uh, if you're Glee fanatics, you might want to search our backlog archives and find those interviews. They were a lot of fun. But uh, appropriately, to wrap up the year as uh, I get ready to head back to Montana for for the holiday break, uh, I guess it's appropriate that we play a Christmas song. Uh, this song is uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. It's performed by Sierra Bogus. Now, the it's from the CD, A New York City Christmas, and it's a benefit album for A-Step. And this is also out on Ghostlight, Shigaboom Ghostlight. And uh, it features a lot of great people, in, uh, including Andy Carl, Raul Esparza, uh, Tyler Maynard, and a whole lot more. So you might want to check this out really quick. Uh, it be a great last-minute stocking stuffer. And uh, here is Sierra Bogus with Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, and we will see you next year. Christmas future is far away. Christmas past is past. Christmas present is here to stay. Bringing joy that will last Have yourself a merry little Christmas Let your heart be light From now on our troubles will be out of sight Yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on, our troubles will be miles away. Here we are, as in olden days, happy golden days of
audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc., to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.